Welcome to Stepping Through the Old Testament. My name is Nigel Carson and today is episode 6, Stepping Through Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is part of the first five books of the law written by Moses. These first five books form the Jewish Torah, which simply means instruction. In the original Hebrew scriptures, the book of Deuteronomy was simply called the words, as the first phrase in Deuteronomy begins with, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel. When the Hebrew Old Testament was later translated into Greek, they began to think of a more appropriate name, and the new title Deuteronomy came from two words in the Greek language, Deutero, which means second, and nomos, which means law. Deuteronomy therefore means the second law, and this name gives us a clue, for in Deuteronomy we find that the Ten Commandments are now stated for a second time. But why did the Ten Commandments need to be repeated a second time? Again, a clue can be found in the previous book of Numbers. Deuteronomy was written 40 years after the book of Exodus, and in the intervening years, an entire generation had died in the wilderness. These people consisted of the adults who came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, camped at Sinai, and had heard the Ten Commandments the first time they were proclaimed. By the time of Deuteronomy, the old generation of people were now dead, all except for Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. This new generation of Israelites were only children when they first crossed the Red Sea, and many more were born during Israel's time in the wilderness. Most of them would have barely remembered coming out of Egypt, and probably wouldn't have recalled the reading of the law at Sinai. So Moses now had to read and explain the law a second time, because a new generation had come to the fore. Another reason for the second reading of the law was to do with timing. This new generation of Israelites were about to enter the Canaan, but were now facing a land occupied by enemies enclosed in fortified cities. So the law was read and explained a second time to outline what God required of them when they entered the promised land. Yet another reason was because their leader Moses was not going with them. Moses had lost his right to go to the promised land when he had earlier disobeyed God's word regarding the provision of water from a rock. God had told him to speak to the rock, but instead Moses, full of frustration from the people's complaining, struck the rock in anger and dishonoured the command God had given him. Now God had shown him that he was shortly going to die and Moses wanted to ensure that this new generation were fully informed about their past and fully ready to face the future. They were now going to see the miraculous power of God taking them through the Jordan, which at that time of the year was in flood and totally impassable. Now the young Israelites would witness the dividing of the waters, just as their parents had watched the Red Sea divide 40 years before. Moses also commands that after entering the land they were to take the first opportunity to go to the top of two mountains called Ebal and Gerizim. 
On Mount Gerizim they were to proclaim the blessings of their covenant with Yahweh, but on Mount Ebal they were to confess the curses of disobedience. There is an overwhelming sense that if the children of Israel had obeyed God the first time and had entered Canaan 40 years previously, then Moses wouldn't have needed to write this book. For a second time, the law has to be written and delivered to the Israelites on the east side of the River Jordan just before they crossed over and just before the death of Moses. Let's look at the structure of Deuteronomy. The structure and outline of Deuteronomy follows the structure and outline of a suzerain treaty. In ancient times, suzerain treaties were commonplace and well-known agreements made between kings. They were especially common between an all-conquering and powerful king and the king that had just been defeated. This type of treaty clearly pointed out that if the defeated party behaved themselves, then the great king who conquered them would protect them and provide for them. But on the other hand, if they rebelled, then there would be clear consequences. The great king would punish and crush the defeated king for the rebellion. Numerous examples of such treaties from the ancient world have been uncovered by archaeologists, particularly in Egypt, and the pattern of these treaties is exactly the same as that outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. People may not realise, but Moses was a highly educated man. As an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses would have received a university-type education in Egypt. In Acts 7.22 it says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Pharaoh's sons were often promoted as generals in his army and Moses would have received the best military training of his day. I believe God used Moses' military education and expertise gained in Egypt to help him lead an army of over two million Israelites out of Egypt, through the wilderness and up to the borders of the Promised Land. Moses had been equipped with military skills and he knew how to motivate and command leaders, how to order and lay out an army camp, and how to give commands to advance a retreat. As a trained soldier, he also knew military tactics and the best way to arrange an army for battle. His schooling would also have involved the study of treaties and how to draw them up. In the treaty written by Moses between God and Israel, Yahweh is seen as the great, all-powerful, all-conquering king, and the Israelites were their lesser party subject to his laws and regulations. Let's take a look at the structure of suzerain treaties. Firstly, each treaty would begin with a preamble indicating who the treaty was between, for example, Pharaoh and the Hittites. In Moses' writings, a clear preamble can be found between God and the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verses 1 to 5. Verse 3 includes the words, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. So this treaty was clearly between God and Israel. Secondly, 
after the preamble would come an historical prologue, summarising how the king and his new subjects came to be related to each other. In Deuteronomy, an historical prologue can be found from chapter 1-6 through to chapter 4 verse 49. God shows his relationship to the Israelites through his previous promise to their forefathers. In chapter 1 verse 8 he says, See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their descendants after them. God showed he was related to Israel through a promise made to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Thirdly, there followed a declaration of the basic principles on which the whole treaty would be based. This section can be found in chapters 5 through to 11 of Deuteronomy and includes a repeat of the Ten Commandments. Fourthly, came detailed laws as to how the subjects were to behave. Deuteronomy chapters 12 through to 26 list how these decrees and laws were to be enacted in Israel's everyday life. Fifthly, there was a list of sanctions, that is, rewards or punishments, what the king would do if they did behave properly and what he would do if they did not behave properly. These sanctions, both good and bad, are recorded in Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28, and they state the blessings and cursings that would come through obedience or disobedience. The Israelites were commanded to declare these blessings on Mount Gerizim and the curses on Mount Ebal. Sixth, there came a witnessed signature, normally calling on the gods to witness the treaty. In Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, Moses says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Finally, the treaty would contain provision for continuity. What would happen if the king died and named a successor to whom the people would still be subject to? In Deuteronomy chapters 31 to 34, this provision for continuity is fulfilled as Joshua is ordained as Moses' successor. Let's look at the sanctions. The sanctions of this suzerain treaty between God and Israel form an important part of the message of Deuteronomy, especially when we try to understand the later events in Israel's history. There are two sanctions in particular I want to draw your attention to. Firstly, natural sanctions and their consequences on the land. And secondly, military sanctions and their consequences on the people. In the natural sanctions, God said he would send drought if Israel failed to serve him or walked in rebellion. Deuteronomy 28 verses 23 and 24 says, The sky over your head will be bronze and the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. The land of Canaan that they were entering was between the Mediterranean Sea and the Arabian Desert. 
When the wind blew across the sea from the west, it would pick up rain from the Mediterranean and drop it onto the promised land. But if the wind came from the east, it would be the hot, dry, desert wind which dries up everything and turns the land into dust. During the prophet Elijah's day, God punished the idolatry of the people with a drought for three and a half years. Elijah invoked the curses of Deuteronomy and God heard his prayer. Then there were military sanctions. If the natural sanction failed, God would use the nations around them to attack them. And another group of people had previously settled along the coastal plain of Palestine too. These were the Philistines, and throughout the following years God used the Philistines as an agent of testing and punishing the Israelites each time they turned away from him. Let's take a look at Moses' last words to Israel. Israel was now about to enter the promised land, but Moses was not going to be there to lead them. At this stage he was an old man of 120 years and he was entering the final days of his life. Having seen the weakness of their parents, Moses was obviously afraid that this new generation might also fail. He knew there would be battles to fight, both physical and spiritual, and the whole of Deuteronomy is made up of three long speeches made by Moses. His words come across with passion and in a very personal and emotional way as he appealed to the people just like a father. The land of Canaan was inhabited by a mixture of Amorites and Canaanites and archaeology has revealed evidence of just how wicked these people were. In Deuteronomy God says, it's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going to take possession of their land but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So everything God tells the Israelites not to do is already happening here in Canaan. Firstly, Canaan was full of sexual immorality and Deuteronomy clearly says that all such behavior was strictly prohibited. Secondly, Canaan was full of injustice and the poor of the land were often destitute. But God said in Deuteronomy that the Israelites were to be selfless. They were to look after the deaf, the blind, the widow and the orphan. In other words, people mattered and God wanted to put a type of social welfare in place for those in need. Thirdly, Canaan was full of idolatry. There was occultism, superstition, astrology, spiritism, and fertility cults. They worshipped Mother Earth, believing that sexual acts had links with the fertility of the land. Many pagan temples operated both male and female prostitutes as part of their occult worship. If Israel were to obey the laws God had given them, then the land would know the blessing of God and his presence would dwell among them. One phrase that occurs repeatedly throughout the book of Deuteronomy is that it may be well with you and that you may live a long life in the land.
Deuteronomy ends with a final tribute to Moses, the man of God. And chapter 34 tells us that Moses climbed Mount Nebo just across from Jericho, where God showed him the whole land of Canaan, letting him see with his own eyes the land he had promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Here Moses died. Here he was buried by God. And here on the plains of Moab, the Israelites mourned for him for a period of 30 days. Chapter 34 verses 10 to 12 says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So how do we see Jesus reflected in Deuteronomy? In chapter 18, verse 15, Moses made the following statement. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. In Acts 3 verse 22, Peter directly quotes this same verse after a lame man was healed at the beautiful gate leading to the temple. As he witnessed of Christ's power to heal, he attributed Moses' words directly to Jesus indicating that a prophet even greater than Moses had just performed a miracle in Jerusalem. Moses was a prophet, but Jesus was greater and more powerful. Moses was a redeemer for Israel, but Jesus was the redeemer of all mankind. Moses was a mediator between God and Israel, but Jesus was the ultimate mediator between God and mankind. Moses interceded for the people, but Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding on our behalf. In conclusion, we see that Deuteronomy is a crucial book within Israel's history. It reminds the Israelites of their past, teaches them how to live in the present, and urges them to look ahead to the future. They are in a covenant relationship with God, which was written down in the form of a suzerain treaty they could easily understand. Today, we too have a covenant with God, a treaty signed by Christ at the cross and delivered to each one of us through the preaching of the gospel. By faith we embrace it, and by faith we receive its blessings as we daily walk in the grace of God. God bless you too. In our next episode, we shall be stepping through the book of Joshua.